0: This was about as bizarre and as
1: easy as it gets.
0: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work again.
1: I feel like we got top, top, top.
0: I went from a
1: sale of, you know, $500,000 to in debt. $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for personal readiness to Exit your company. And here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to prescore.com. You know, if you're a longtime listener to the show, you know that we've spent a lot of time talking about unscrupulous buyers who try to renegotiate The terms of your letter of intent, it's called retrading. We have never, however, up until today, talked about the opposite, which is when you, the entrepreneur, retrades. And (laughs) I'm happy to tell you that my next guest, David Jandro, did exactly that. He was in the process of diligence after having signed a letter of intent when he won a contract that would have the potential to double the size of his company. Effectively doubling the value of his company. Well, as you can imagine, he wanted to renegotiate, and that's exactly what he did. I'll let him tell you the story. There's lots of really good lessons in this. Listen for the forty-nine forty-nine two. I won't spoil that. I'll let you, David, talk about why he did that. He talks a lot about processes and the importance of documenting those and the psychological impact of selling a business that his father actually started. Lots to share in this. Really wide-ranging interview with David Jandrow. David Jandrow, welcome to Built to Cell Radio. Thanks so much, John. It's it's. I it's, gotta throw the little French, you know, you know. I, I gotta sound a little cultured. I, I understand
0: completely. Yeah, Gendro.
1: <laughs> sounds like I don't know. You're uh, a matrony at a very fancy French restaurant.
0: I like to think of it more as like a. Like a trapper in the Canadian wild. (laughs) Like a
1: beaver trapper. Yeah. Like like some sort of like maple syrup tapping, tree hugging. (laughs) Well, it's good to meet you, David. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you. Tell me a little bit about American Sign Language. Um, I'm I'm like really interested in what this company does. I've obviously seen guys like when politicians stand up there, they're
0: giving a speech. There's like the sign language guy in the background. Is that the kind of stuff you guys did? Yeah. Yeah. We actually... um, that's exactly what we did. We did it kind of on a on a much wider basis. We did do some political conventions. Hillary Clinton's uh, speech uh, after two thousand sixteen was one of them. That was uh, that was interesting. But um, we basically we ninety percent of our revenue was from on site sign language interpreting, right? And this is a, a category in the larger language service provider kind of industry sphere. Um, so a deaf person they have a doctor's appointment or they're going to a college class um, and they they want equal access to communication which is given to them by law mostly the ADA but there's some other ones and so they need a person there to that knows English and knows sign language ASL and can interpret between the two and we were the service that you would call and we would provide those people um, and we had um, we serviced The New York City metro area, we serviced Delaware all the way up through upstate New York. Um, And we dealt a lot with hospital networks and state agencies and college and universities. So we kind of, we did some individual um, companies, but it was more larger network type things.
1: Got it. And so these, these, the people who who do
0: the sign language, were they full-time employees of yours or subcontractors? They were all uh, 1099 subcontractors. Um, once in a while we flirted with having employees, but generally speaking, uh, the, the profession is very grounded in, uh, freelancers and contractors, which I use, I use those terms interchangeably 1099 freelance contractor. Yeah.
1: God, I think people get it. So what was the business model? Like how did you charge by the hour or
0: did you get a lump sum from a hospital? Like how did it work? Yeah. It was it was pretty like it was just hourly based. So we send you know the uh, interpreter on site usually had a two hour minimum, um, and uh, we pay the interpreter based on the time they're there, and we bill the client on the the time they were there. How um, big a market is like? like I'm thinking, how many?
1: Uh, it, it, what's the politically correct term? Is it is it deaf people or, or audio impaired or like what what would how would someone describe someone who needs a sign language? Uh, individual. Sure.
0: The, the, the term is deaf with a capital D. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how
1: many people struggle with like are are deaf in the United States, like how big is this market? I'm trying to get at I
0: mean, the, the number, the number that's thrown out is usually around 2 million. Um, okay. But uh, the people that are using interpreters, maybe a little smaller than that. People have other accommodations, hearing aids sometimes are enough to understand spoken English. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say there's companies that were doing what we're doing. Uh, at a substantial level, there's a few hundred, 500, maybe a thousand maximum in the country. Um, so there was, it's definitely a niche company, a niche business we were doing. And how big, how much of the market did you have? Uh, I don't know. We were probably, I mean, in terms of overall revenue or in terms of sure. share, I mean, at the, when we started the sale process, we were doing about 2 million revenue a year. That's when we started. And when we ended, it was significantly different and we can go into that um, as well. But yeah, so, and that was probably, I don't know, for the regions we were covering, one twentieth. 20th um, of okay. what was out there. I'm not sure. So, so you're a tiny
1: fish in a big pond uh, in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Yeah, yeah, uh, That's helpful. I don't mean tiny in a pejorative way, but I mean, you know, there's a lots of more market share you could have sort of tried to capture. Presumably. Right.
0: And there, there weren't, but there weren't many companies that were significantly bigger. There were a few, but I don't know anybody who was really doing more than 10 a year, but maybe there was, I don't know.
1: Okay. So it's pretty fragmented.
0: Yeah. I understand that
1: you came to own this business as opposed to starting it. Maybe walk us through how you became and, and came to own it.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, the, to make a, to make a, a long story shorter, um, I actually grew up in, uh, when I was in grade school, my dad became uh, part of the, the deaf community. He wasn't deaf himself. He just socialized and became friends with some deaf people and, and learned the language and started teaching sign language. He was a teacher by training. And I came home <laughs> and he was teaching sign language out of our living room um, to some hearing people in our apartment in New York. And then uh, this is in sixth grade. And then over over the years, the school grew until it was actually uh, 200 students every six, eight week semester. <laughs> and in parallel with that he was also doing sign language interpreting and so he had these two businesses one was a school and one was an interpreting service and uh they're pretty successful pretty well known in new york city um and uh in 2000 i started helping out with him um, i was living in new mexico and I, I live in new mexico now in santa fe and he wanted somebody to help run the interpreting side of things basically be a coordinator take phone calls, book jobs. And I said, sure, I'll do that. But I'm living in New Mexico. And so we figured that out, how to, how to work remotely 2000 miles away, <laughs> 20 years ago. And I did that for a year or two. And then uh, in 2004, he passed away unexpectedly, suddenly um, heart attack, middle of the night and um, <clears throat> my sister and i inherited this company both companies which while we had both been associated with we didn't know how to run a business we didn't have business ownership experience i was a fine employee but i I wasn't an owner so it was like i mean it's a huge shock to have your dad die suddenly um and we dealt with that for for a few months and then but we also had a business to manage and run at the same time. So it was, it was a pretty intense time for us.
1: What was the most, obviously the emotional impact of losing your father would be the most difficult. But when we get to the business itself, what was the most difficult thing to pick up?
0: Right. So what was I was 28 years old. um, And there i was doing i was doing everything right so like and that was how my dad ran things too that's what i had seen was he just he kept everything in his head right and he ran things and he made all these contacts and then when i started working for him i took a little bit off that but i put it in my head and 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 what i learned and there were some really helpful milestones along the way one of which i think for me was reading the e-myth mm, great um, book yeah you know, just that idea of like, stop working in your business so you can work on your business mm-hmm. and realizing like, I had to get this stuff out there and develop systems and processes that, so it wasn't me. Like if I wasn't around, this business should run. And that, that took years for us to figure out that that's what I needed to do. Right. And so that was a big thing. And then, and then, uh, making the business mine, right. Like it had a certain sales process that it ran a certain way, but that's not how I could run it. Um, so we had to figure that out of how to, how to, how are we going to do sales? Like we're my, my dad's super charismatic guy. He could sell no machines to an Eskimo, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, that wasn't me. I was a lot more like, uh, in, I, I couldn't make a sale like that. I, what I could do is I could do uh, I, I could write and I could read, right? But I could do RFPs and work through that process. And so over over the course of five, six years, we figured a lot of this stuff out um, of how to run this business our way, that, that went to our strengths. Give me an example of some of the
1: processes that you documented. Like, I think people have heard, Oh, I've got to have standard operating procedures. Like they've kind of heard the work on, not in, but I think they get stuck at the next step. Like, okay, so what am I supposed to document?
0: Right. So like, for example, we have, uh, we send interpreters to businesses, right? There's a hospital and, uh, and we and, and they don't like certain interpreters or their patients prefer other interpreters. So Instead of that all just being in my head, we just started developing a database, right? And it seems like you know, pretty basic, but we weren't doing that. We weren't recording what preferences were for individuals for who they wanted to be their interpreters. It was it was all in our heads, or it was written down somewhere, or the the coordinator kind of knew. And so we had to formulate that. And we didn't we did some documentation, but a lot of it got integrated into Um, uh, a system, a FileMaker database that just kind of collated all that stuff. Um, And over time, it just grew and grew until like our process for collections, um, how, you know, documenting, pressing a button and running it so it shows all the overdue invoices that are 45 days out or whatever, like all those kind of like policies and procedures would end up running in in a system, in a database. Got it. And you use FileMaker for all that? Yeah. We used a FileMaker database. That was one in everything. And it was, and then over time it started doing more and more stuff uh, that we could offload. And that was, that was really helpful.
1: You know, I'd be curious to know about the dynamics with your sister because clearly she inherited the business as well. Was it sort of, you know, 50, 50 down the middle, you own half, I own half and away we go kind of thing. Or how did you guys deal with that stuff?
0: Yeah, we, we, we split it. Uh, evenly um, we actually split it 49 49 and then gave my mom two percent um hmm. my parents had been divorced but they had a good relationship and and uh, we thought it'd be nice to have her included uh and we were coming from this being a family business and so we wanted to include her and uh it also gave us a 50 made us a, a woman-owned business 51 percent woman owned which was helpful in what and, way. yeah <laughs> and, no in what
1: way i don't i don't know what the oh, why that would be helpful
0: uh so we uh We started moving to doing a lot of RFP-based contracts. I see. uh, And states have preferences for women-owned businesses, or they have at least minimum requirements that you sub that out if you're not a woman-owned business. So being that gave us a few points uh, towards winning contracts.
1: Got it. That's helpful.
0: And the dynamic was what we did – uh, we basically, for the first few years, at least, we, we kind of alternated, right? So she was in charge for a couple of years and I was in charge for a couple of years. Hmm. Um, we tried that. And then uh, the end, the last several years, um, I, she was like the advisor and I was running things towards the end there. It just Who's older? She is. She's about four years older. Were you resentful that you were doing all the work and she was
1: standing to gain all this money if, if you sold the business?
0: Um no, not resentful. I mean, I we I was very I was very clear and very upfront like to myself that this is the this, this is fifth, this is an ownership things, she gets half, I get half, that's fine. Um we have had trouble over the years around other business aspects, around strategy or how we identified culturally in terms of how what's our business culture. And so we 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 did one of the reasons we talked about selling was the there was a strain on our relationship and, it, mm-hmm. and we were together we were, we were doing it together for 15 years um, but we definitely struggled at times um, and by struggling I mean we would like we would have fights like brother and sister you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: and you figured to, to safeguard the relationship it might be better to sell the company
0: that was that was one of the the influences for me yeah
1: what other influences were there
0: Um, I'd say there's, there's two other things. One was, um, I was in my early forties. Um, and this was something that had been, um, bequeathed to, to me. And it wasn't something that I had chosen necessarily. I had made it mine. I felt pretty confident and comfortable by that point that this was, that this was of, of me, but I was kind of wondering what else was out there. And I felt like I may not have enough time to really dig into something unless, uh, into something new in my life, unless I was able to transfer this out of my life. And then uh, there was just a lot of stress um, in this particular business, around mostly around getting new business and um, finding new clients and new contracts. And there's a lot of uncertainty when contracts come up if you're going to get it again. And the kind of triggering event was in uh, April. We got notice that this contract that we had submitted for, that would be a huge contract. Like it would double our revenue that we did not get it. So after that, we kind of got deflated and felt, you know, maybe now is that we've been talking about it for a couple years, maybe now's the time to pull the trigger. Maybe now is to get serious about, about selling. Cause you know, we didn't get this big contract.
1: Got it. So you're a couple million in revenue at this time. Yep. And you figure, you know, that some of the stuff, your age, your sister, you figured, you know, now's the time to sell. What did you do? What was the process like?
0: Um, Two things. The first thing was internal. Um, We had, since we'd been talking about it for a couple of years, I made sure that we kind of got like our, again, our systems together. We had, we had very clean books. Uh, We had books that were audited. You know, we, there's a lot of stuff that business owners may do, uh, to reduce their tax burden, claiming that kind of stuff. So we we kind of moved a lot of that out and made it more like we were strict, you know, knowing that that would help us in a sale, Um, getting key people in place. Um, So we did some internal work and then to find buyers, you know, I started going to conferences, um, language conferences, not just sign language ones, but uh, but, but general language service provider conferences and talking Hmm. and letting them know, Hey, are you guys interested? Um, are you looking for anything? And in that process, I met a gentleman who, uh, he wasn't exactly a business broker. He was more like a, he made contacts, but he didn't walk you through the whole process. Um, and he took kind of a smaller percentage than a traditional business broker would. And um, we, we hit it off and, 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 and made a connection. And then he ended up introducing us to a handful of people over the next few months.
1: And, and what was the reaction from those handful of people?
0: uh you know the first three or four uh it was mostly a phone conversation or two uh they were i got the feeling they were just kicking the tires um experimenting with the idea of it but maybe not serious were Um,
1: these industry peers of yours like were they other uh language companies or were they they investment firms or
0: they were other language companies but they were um not sign language. So there's other language companies out there that provide foreign language interpreting, right. Or video yeah. or over the phone for hospitals or other combinations of these. And, and so that, that these guys were interested in maybe it's, it's kind of like a strategic purchase of adding mm-hmm. this service under their, their umbrella.
1: Mm-hmm. But I would imagine the customer base is quite different between a language interpreter and someone who needed a sign language interpreter—would that be fair to say?
0: They get lumped together a lot. Do um, they? Okay. Yeah. So a hospital depends on the hospital. Most hospitals, their language services are one department, whether it's sign language or Chinese, right? Okay. Some hospitals actually split it out, um, but for the for the most part, they are—they do fall under providing language access.
1: Okay. So you're having a few conversations with potential strategic. Adv- other language companies. Uh, it sounds like those conversations are somewhat bland. There's nothing really that comes out of them.
0: Yeah, nothing, nothing really came out of those. Um, and, and, and then that summer, uh, we, I got a phone call uh, as an introduction and, uh, and the guy I was talking to, he, we just, we hit it off and had a really good conversation and they turned out to be a pretty serious buyer.
1: And so, yeah. sorry, you made it, you said you made an introduction. So how did they come to learn of you?
0: Uh, it was through, through that business broker, Michael uh, referral guy who had originally, uh, who had connected me with the previous three or four. Got but it. finally found somebody that seemed serious. Got it. And, and so what were the, what was the nature of their company? Uh, They're actually um, private family money um, that had, I was looking to build a language services provider that provided kind of all those services I had talked about and they had already purchased several other companies. So they'd already, what was, purchased, it that, yeah. what was it that made you guys hit it off so well? Uh, personality. Like we just, he was from New York. I'm originally from New York. We just could have a conversation. and was very Frank. Um, and it just seemed like a, a, a good guy, you know? and, and, and open and honest. And we like, I think by our second or third conversation, we were, we were talking numbers and, and it just felt, there just felt there was like a personal connection and that made a lot of difference. Hmm. Um, Where did it go from there? So you're starting to
1: exchange numbers. Did did you have a sense of what the company was worth? Did you have any, any idea what you thought it might be worth?
0: Yeah. So by this point I'd already done a fair amount of uh, internet Research. I'd listened to a great podcast, built to Cell radio. <laughs> and and, and I, had, I had an idea of like, th- you know, going for three to four times um, net is kind of where we were. And, my, and I actually asked my sister uh, before we started this process, like what her number was. And it matched up with mine and kind of matched up with our, with our, with our revenues and, and, and our percentages to about three and a half percent, I think. Uh, three and a half times.
1: Right. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you're, look, you're looking for roughly three and a half times. Uh, I think brokers call it SDE, seller's discretionary earnings, but essentially your net, you know, your profit before tax. And also I'm assuming uh, that you did some, uh, some normalization or some adjustments to your profitability so that as you, as you talked about, you went through the process of making it look like a clean Business that you weren't yeah. running a bunch of things through it for tax purposes or whatever.
0: Like I said, we we had kind of uh, tried cleaning it up already, so there wasn't a yeah. ton. Um, it was mainly our, com- our individual compensation was was maybe it. You know what would what would it cost to replace me? You know, am I getting paid more than would cost to replace me? It and did, were like, you yeah. were you drawing a market
1: rate salary from the company? You figure you're earning what you should be paid if you had a job?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's always. That, that, there's always some flexibility, I think sure. but it's in, the, it's in the right ballpark. Um, and you can, I mean, a business owner just, yeah, yeah we're in the right ballpark.
1: Yeah. Got it.
0: So just to be clear, the three and a half, That's four.
1: Uh, did that include your salary? Um, in, in calculating the profitability of the company, did you include your salary in making that calculation or not?
0: Um, no, we basically, it did not include, so we added my sister's back on because she wasn't really doing day-to-day stuff, but I was doing day-to-day stuff. So we kept mine in there.
1: Okay. So your sister's was scrubbed out and yours was left in. Yeah. And then again, and then after that you had like kind of what, what sort of margins are you earning on your, your 2 million ballpark? Like what's on a percentage basis?
0: Eight to 10%, you know, that was... Yeah. So we were be, basically like it's, it's since we were billing and paying by the hour, we could calculate our gross margins really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were running at about 35% and then our operations were taking like another 25%. So we we're coming away with 10% or so.
1: Got it. So yeah. a couple million in revenue, a couple hundred grand in profit. Yeah and that uh got it and so you're sort of applying a multiple to that that's helpful and where does it go from there so when you're actually having this conversation uh i believe the company's called new language capital is that the yeah so when you're talking to new language um like did they say hey what do you want for your company did 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 they offer that number up but like where did it go from there
0: yeah so uh so they, like I said, they were, they had already purchased, um, like a translation company and a foreign language company. And they were kind of, they wanted they're kind of an ass, assembling a stable of companies that they could combine. Um, so it was a little bit of strategic, a little bit of financial and we'd had these conversations up front and this relationship that we developed pretty quickly, uh, was very handshaky and, and they, he said, how much do you want for your business? And I said, want this much and he said okay i'll go talk to my owners and that was it and they came back and said that that's fine um and uh what are the terms these were the terms we wanted they said great we can we can deal with that you know we wanted one of the things that was attractive was that they were offering I think it was 85 percent up front and then 15 percent later uh a year later within a year
1: got it so you kind of gave them a number to which, what was the reaction when you said three and a half times or whatever? Did said, you give him the actual number? Yeah, or I, said,
0: I said 700, you know, right. seven, that, that was the number. That's what it worked out to be. And he was like, okay, I'll, I'll run that past the owners and we'll let you know. Right. And, it. and it worked out really well because I didn't want to like get into some, a lot of negotiation around price, you know, and I think I'd made that clear, but like, this was what my sister and I thought were fair. We weren't overstepping. We weren't undercutting ourselves. This is, this is what it would take for us to walk away. And that's what we're going to tell you. You know, we, we, weren't going to, we weren't our personalities are not the type to kind of play like a lot of negotiating games.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got Did it. And so
0: we leave my on the table. Is all that maybe, I don't know, but that's okay.
1: Yeah. Um, Talk to me about the the deal structure. So it sounds like for you, it was important that a large chunk be paid up front.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That was. Yeah. I mean, these are people we don't really know. Like, I had heard you know horror stories about not getting paid later and all that stuff. So this and just have a clean break. That's what we mm-hmm. want. That was that was what we wanted. Yeah.
1: Nice. And the 15%, how, what was that t- Was that tied to something? Your tenure? Was it just time-based? Ha-
0: nope, it wasn't tied to anything. It was just, just a year, a, a time. based. Yeah. One year. So okay. Was, so one year you had to work in the company for one year. Did, did I have to work? No, it wasn't tied to working. It was just tied to they needed another year just to got it to hold back. And, and I don't know now I don't, don't know how do we calculate. Uh, it was also, um, Accounts outstanding accounts receivables that got added onto that too. So mm-hmm. I can never remember if that gets counted as part of the sales price or not. But, uh, that was another couple hundred, something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like a working capital calculation. Working capital, yeah, Right. Yeah. To figure out how much of those receivables you get to keep and how much they're going to get to keep. And because right. when you hand over the keys, you know, there's money owing to the company, uh, there's money in the bank. How you how you sort of dealt with all that stuff,
0: right? And then and that's how that's that's what the what is it yeah, the, the buyer pays twice, right? They pay for the business and then they pay to to get the cash flow going again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there was some negotiation around how accounts receivables get paid out. At that point, we had zero debt um, and a little money in the bank.
1: Yeah. Got it. That's helpful. And as you went through the the actual diligence process, what was the s- most sort of surprising thing that you had to deal with through diligence?
0: How easy it was. Wow. Like it really, That's, like That's really, the first time I've heard that. <laughs> I know. That's why it was surprising. It was pretty smooth. Like we had, uh, we got a lawyer, uh, somebody who's familiar with, with, with M&A and he was great. Ben Thompson, New York City, Broad Street, um, great guy. Uh, and he just kind of like helped us, you know, get all the paperwork together and, and, and share it. And, and they reviewed the books and, and that was kind of, we were kind of in this like process of like, we're just on the, on the verge of like getting this done when like everything just completely 100% changed. (laughs) And what happened? Blew the whole deal, uh, apart. Basically, uh, uh, the, that contract that we had not been awarded back in April, that would have doubled our revenue. We were told in early September, three days before the start of the school year in New York city, that they had made a mistake and that we had actually won that contract. And they expected us to start performing on this contract, which would double our business. And we had to start performing in three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, How far due diligence is this? you you signed a letter of
1: intent, but you haven't, we not to,
0: we're just in due diligence. Yeah. So we're just kind of looking over books and stuff. Yeah. So, what so, do So, <laughs> well, I sat, I sat down for, for an hour and just had like, my brain just started going of like, what, like, okay. Like what the hell is going on here? And then started prioritizing, right? First thing was like, we've got to perform in this contract. So everything related to the sale, that's me put on hold. Sorry, guys. We think you're great. But this came in, and this could be a great opportunity for you. But I can't talk to you. I got to deal with just this for the next week or two. Like this is going to take up fourteen hours a day of my time, to because we we have to ramp up this over three days. It took a, we got ninety percent done in three days, but just this whole process of of ramping up service um but why didn't our business yeah yeah but why did
1: you care i mean you'd sold your company in theory like why not just say hey guys here are the keys you might want to call city of new york because i think they've got a contract they want to award you guys
0: oh because because this, this is doubling this is going to double our business it's doubling the price or it's this is we weren't going to sell for the same price like that was we had we had we did a new deal right like this was this was if we had gotten this back in April we probably wouldn't have sold. So are we even going to sell now? Like mm. that because that was part of the original reason. So we had, a, we, had we needed time to 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 do the work and then process the uh, the kind of the emotional stuff that we have already dealt with and then figure out what was happening next. Was
1: there a part of you that that struggled with maybe you or your sister struggled with you know, you'd made a commitment in signing the letter of intent. There was a, you know, genuine good faith offer from the other side that given you what you wanted was part of you, like conflicted with the idea that, you know, is it fair to pull the plug, even though this contract is twice the size of the company?
0: No, not at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 we're, like we're talking, we're, like we're talking real money here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there was no, there's no question that things were changing, right? No.
1: Uh, <laughs> Got it. Okay. So what'd you do next? So the company, so you focus on getting the contract fulfilled, I'm assuming.
0: Yeah. So we focus on that. Um, we, uh, we, we, there was two issues. One was, was that I knew this contract very well, this contract working with the department of education for the New York city, New York city public schools, has been around for as long as i have known alive. Right. And I'd known about it for 15 years and we just had our act together to really fulfill it now. And I knew what it was worth, right? It's a five-year contract. I know it's worth 2 million revenue a year, but the buyer doesn't. The buyer, they don't, they don't know this area like I do. They're going on my word. So, why would they pay me what I think it's worth? There's no history there. There's no past performance. So that was a sticking point, right? Like how do we negotiate mm-hmm. that? And in the end, I mean, I just want to say like the buyers were so like flexible <laughs> and understanding, like it was really amazing. You know, that was, it. That, and I think that might've been a result of just having this connection. That's what I felt from them. And so, so we ended up negotiating it. And um, I, we, we, did, we What I wanted was a clean break, right? 85% up front, the rest of the year. Well, now it's going to be performance based earnout over five years, the length of the contract, right? And uh, again, if I'm in the three to three three and a half percent range, well, over five years, that's 75% a year. So, So you uh, lost me in the three and a half to five, I I don't know. Yeah. So, 75% a year for five years works out to being three and a half times, I keep saying percent, times revenue. So, what I thought three and a half times revenue off this contract would be, we negotiate, we set it up that way as um, an earnout, basically.
1: Okay, you still lost me a little bit. So the, the contract is is it worth a couple million dollars a year in revenue? Right. Yep. Uh, over five years.
0: Yep. and so your did, margins took, on that. Go ahead. Right. We took we took that we took the margins we subtracted it we, an admin fee for them, you know. And then we subtract out taxes, and then we said after that we're going to split split the, the net after taxes.
1: Got it. So it Just would it's, be
0: yeah. So what impact did that have on the sale price? Doubled it, basically, maybe more. Um, we don't know yet because we're still in the middle of it, but um, it was it was significant, yeah. And we, it's an earnout, so
1: we get paid you know every quarter, every year. Okay, so I think I get the three and a half times now. The three and a half is the multiple on your profitability. So you're projecting out the profitability of this contract, right? Trying to figure out and then apply them. And seventy
0: five percent times five, yeah, is three and a half. Yeah, that's yeah. how I figured it, and that seemed reasonable to me, and that seemed reasonable to them, and. We, you know, we, we, we went back and forth just discussing it a lot, but we came to an agreement and that, and that worked out. that was great. And and
1: how do you police that agreement now having left? Because they would have an incentive if they were less than reputable to sort of fudge the numbers and say, well, the margin isn't quite as good. Or, you know, we had to apply some costs here. Like, how do you police that there, that the profitability of the the $2 million contract is,
0: is correct. I kind of advise them on the billing and because they, it is a pretty complicated billing system to get, to to build this very bureaucratic organization. Um, And so they want me kind of helping them. And uh, like, I basically know exactly what the numbers are. Um, If I didn't, I still feel pretty trustworthy towards them. They've built up a lot of goodwill.
1: Yeah. did you paper like? Did your lawyer presumably they they, yeah. they had some protections in there? Did you get the rights to audit the contract?
0: Yeah, there's 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 an annual statement that they're supposed to put out, uh, mm-hmm. and and also I just know the business well enough that I know what the numbers should be, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and if if they weren't there, then that would be suspicious, and I'd look closer. But they're there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. got it. And so, how many? how many months or years are you into this or no?
0: Uh, three years out into the five years of it. Okay. And, and have they been hitting
1: the numbers each, each quarter? Yeah. It's been great. It's, it's fantastic. It's been Everybody's best interest to keep us going. You know? And how much of your personal time have you had to commit to the, the company in those three years? Like on a monthly basis, let's say,
0: well, uh, there was a transition that was kind of separate from this, right? So there was a, a nine month, I stayed on board for nine months and helped them transition everything. And mm-hmm. then since then I put in uh, maybe five hours, 10 hours a month. Okay, so
1: pretty limited. Over the, that nine months of full-time work, did you just draw a salary or how do they compensate you during that nine month period?
0: I was paid as a consultant on a monthly retainer. And did you negotiate that as part of the sale? Yeah. Okay,
1: okay. So, and, so there's a actually, consulting agreement. Yeah, yeah consulting agreement. And did they commit to a number of hours or just an hourly rate? And then it depended on how many hours you build.
0: No, it was, it was basically like, it was on a per month basis. So it was full time for nine months. Got it. Got it. And I don't remember what that was actually. Uh, Yeah. I don't recall. Um, But there was one other problem. So we had all this negotiation around that, but then something else came up before we could even close. Mm -hmm. And that was a cash flow issue. And we had, you know, we doubled our business, and because this was a new contract and, and it's such a bureaucratic organization, it took it took them seven months to make their first payment. Wow! Yeah,
1: on a two million dollar uh... yeah. <laughs>
0: How'd you manage that? Uh, uh, I basically maxed out all my personal credit and business credit, and all of that. And uh, the buyer gave us a bridge loan. Um, and with, with the understanding that they'd be paid back first. But it was, it was an incredibly, incredibly stressful time, right? And if we hadn't been in the process of selling, we might not have actually survived. We would have had, I would have had to have scraped up a few hundred thousand dollars borrowing from family probably, which would have been possible. But it was hard. It was so hard there was so much stress involved because we I was pretty sure that we would get paid eventually but but there was no guarantee right and there's a buyer here being like we're giving you money but we don't have this guarantee that we're gonna get it back there was it was a huge leap of faith um, but I was like look this is this is a, this is New York City right they'll pay they might take a while but they'll pay and it was it was tough and they didn't uh, start paying after we clo- until after we closed. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they closed on it with that still unanswered. Um, and they eventually we started getting paid about three months after we closed.
1: Got it. And and for those who aren't familiar with uh, that term, a bridge loan, just describe what that means and sort of what would the, what were the terms of that have been?
0: Um, it was basically like they were loaning us money to make it through to cross a a chasm of, of debt, uh, until, uh, until we started getting, uh, so we started getting paid. And what what were the terms of that loan? Uh, I don't remember, uh, in terms of percentages or anything.
1: Yeah. Like, was it sort of close to prime or was it, you know, prime plus 20? Like, was it a huge premium they were charging or, uh,
0: it was, it was totally generous. I wasn't even prime. Um, I don't remember.
1: And uh, and what about guarantee? Did did you have to personally sign a guarantee for that bridge loan?
0: Uh, no, I don't recall personally signing that. I, I, but again, there was there was a lot of trust on both sides, and a lot of paperwork. It sounds like you're just signing in I mean, blind faith. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had ton, There was tons of paperwork. The, the guy who was kind of negotiating on the buyer side himself had been uh, a lawyer, so. He was, he was doing a lot of the contract work. I had my guy doing a lot of the contract work and they were talking directly all the time. Um, and there was a lot of like fine print that I not that, you know, well-versed in. I just trusted my lawyer to, to make sure that everything worked out.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it sounds like it, it did in spades. I'd love to ask you about um, the emotional impact of selling. I mean, this was your your father's business, um, your late father's business. So, you know, there's, I'd imagine there'd be some pretty heavy emotion attached to that. What was your experience
0: like? It was hard. It was, this is something that had, uh, been associated with the John Drone name, right? Mm. Since I was 10 years old, like hmm. it had been, been decades uh, people, uh, interpreters, would be like, hey, you're your Fred's son. Like, I took my first sign language class with him, mm-hmm. you know? And now they're like professionals in their field. People have known me when, they, when I was a little kid, you know? Um, and, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. Um, there was a little bit of an identity crisis of now that I'm selling this that I've been associated with for so long, who am I? Like, what, what's my role in the professional world? Like, I've got, I'm married, I have kids. You know, I, I know my role in the family, but what's my role here, like, as, as, as a professional or as a, in my work life? hmm It was hard. Um, it was mixed. It felt good at the same time. <laughs> there was definitely a burden that was lifted off. Um, so, it's complicated. Mm-hmm.
1: What sorts of emotions did you experience uh, in addition to feeling lightened by the, 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 you know, the monkey off your back, so to speak, but what other sorts of emotions did you experience?
0: The, the big question was, is this the right decision? There's always a little bit of doubt. Um, I don't know if uh, that question 100% is even answered now, you know, would I, would my life be better if I hadn't sold, would things be different? I mean, in retrospect with, with COVID, man, I am I am excited to not be owning a business right now. And mm. um, that would have been mostly because like the, it's an enormous amount of stress to be a business owner. Personally, for me, I feel the weight of ownership of being responsible to my uh, staff and my interpreters and my customers and the deaf people who are getting sign language interpreting every time we didn't fill a job that was a deaf person that didn't have you know access to, to a doctor sure. like there's was, there was always like I always felt very responsible for stuff um, so uh, but part of me is, feels like that was a good place for me to be I, I, I like being responsible for stuff I don't know it's hard
1: but you, you have a sense of freedom now what are
0: you doing now like what's what do you do with all that freedom? I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been really nice. Um, I've, I've got three kids, eight, uh, 10 and 14. Hmm. Um, and so I've spent, uh, two years now. It's been two years since I, the transition period ended. Right. So I haven't worked full time in two years. Um, I spent a lot of time with the kids. Uh, I work out a lot. Um, I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> uh, and I do some consulting on the side. So I do some kind of database business application consulting, and I do some kind of general business mentoring. Um, mm-hmm. when, and, and it, there's a, I'm kind of into like the, you know, there's a personal finance scene, um, boggleheads, uh, boggleheads, um Mr. Money Mustache, that kind of stuff. And there's a, a thread that pops up every now and then among that community of like, well, when I retire, am I just gonna be bored out of my mind? And the answer is absolutely not. Like, I'm not bored at all. Like this has been fantastic. Um, not saying that I'm retired because the payout I got um, isn't um, as they say, F you money, right? It's It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not that much. I, I, I'm actually going to start probably working uh, a little more in the next few months but it's more like thank you money you know like I'm super grateful for like having been given this gift by my dad by having uh, been able to work in this situation with my family my sister my mom my brother-in-law my all, most of our early employees were all family members I'm grateful that we were lucky to have a buyer that was so understanding and flexible like I've been super lucky and mm. I am feeling a lot of gratitude <laughs> as a result of that sale
1: yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. It's it's refreshing to hear, David. And I'm, I'm thrilled for you. Where, if people want to reach out, uh, what's the best way for, for folks to find you?
0: Uh, you can, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, J-O-N-D-R-E-A-U is my last name. Um, and you can email me, David, my first name, at my last name, which is johndrow.net. That's, a, that's the best way, david at johndrow.net. Just email me directly. That's awesome. That's awesome. David, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much, John.
1: Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warrillow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.